This Trib Live event was recorded in front of a live audience and was generously supported by AT&T, Christus Health, BP, Raise Your Hand Texas, and the Texas Coalition of Dental Service Organizations, and also by Educate Texas, the American Heart Association, and the American Stroke Association. For more information on the Texas Tribune and the dozens of free Trib Live events the Tribune hosts each year, go to texastribune.org. Please join me in welcoming the Honorable Michael Williams. <laughs> Commissioner, thank you. You gave me two extra years. Oh, I did? Okay, well, all right. That's why, I didn't, that's why I didn't go into math, that's it. <laughs> Commissioner, good morning, nice to see you. Good to be back. Thank good you for be being back. here. I thought we might start with the not at all controversial topic of spending on public education. Uh, <laughs> you probably heard this week that the Comptroller had some pretty good news about the current state of things and the state of things for the next biennium in terms of the budget. Uh, in view of the cuts to public education that happened in the last session, probably the biggest headline coming out of the session were the cuts to public ed. A lot of people think that if the economy is better and if the budget is better, that maybe we should put some money back into public education. Your boss, the governor, had a different point of view about this. Uh, his exact quote in rebuffing the calls to put money back into public education was, quote, under any scenario over the last decade, funding for public schools has been pretty phenomenal. Is he right that funding is not just adequate but phenomenal for public education? Let's see if we can do this without sort of commenting directly on what, what the governor said. Why? First of all, why, why not comment Evan, Evan, come on. You just started, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got a lot more time to push you on this, so go ahead. But, but let's do yeah. this. I mean, we're, we're looking at perhaps, um, I think the Congress said maybe an $8 billion surplus. Right. And much of that has probably already been spent. It's been spent in terms of what we have to do in terms of Medicaid, in terms right. of deferrals, in terms of right. uh, shortfalls, things of that nature. So much of that has probably already been spent. Right. So that is unlikely to go into public education. Right. Comptroll also said there may be a 14.5% uh, additional dollars available for the next biennium. Yeah. And we're going to let the 181 make a determination about how, how, they, how they spend that and, and, how the, and how they put those dollars. But there is no doubt that we have put uh, significant dollars in the public ed. And I look forward to being part of the conversation about where we go forward from here. Did, I'm not asking so much, Commissioner, whether we've put significant dollars in. I'm, I'm asking whether we've put enough dollars in. There are a lot of people out in the community for instance, several hundred plaintiffs engaged in a lawsuit that you may be aware of now. Well, they defended the in that lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who might take a different position from both the governor in terms of phenomenal and in terms of you in terms of sufficient or adequate. I, I mean, I, I want to press you on this. Do you, as the commissioner, believe Evan, we're putting enough money Evan, in? Evan, Evan, let's recognize yeah. I'm the defendant in that case. Right. So I'm not going to give a deposition. No offense. But you can, offer, but you can offer a commissioner a point of view as to whether well, enough money is going into public ed without let, getting into the terms no, of the case. Because I am the defendant in that case, mm -hmm. I am not going to take this as an opportunity to give a deposition for that, for, 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 for that particular case mm -hmm. and put myself in a position where I am testifying in a case when I have not been called as a witness, even though I'm the defendant. Right. So with all due respect, yeah. we're not going there. Okay, well let me ask you then, offline from the question of adequate or sufficient, let me ask you about whether you believe, as some do, that there's a correlation between spending on public education and performance. As I read the TEA's own data, 
the schools that are ranked at the highest level, at the exemplary level, seem to be spending about $1,000 more per student than the students at the bottom in the unacceptable schools. I, I think what you really see yeah. uh, when you look at TA data about who's an acceptable, academic acceptable school right. as opposed to an academic unacceptable school yeah. is that they have a different category of youngsters that they're okay. dealing with, more so than dollars. Okay. That they're dealing with youngsters who are coming to school more prepared because for the most part, their families are middle income and upper income families as opposed to families that are it's a middle income to lower income. Yeah. That, is, that is the more, most driving factor in terms of educational achievement in this state. Not dollars spent. It's who they are when they come, well, good morning, who they are when they come to the classroom right. as opposed to how many dollars are spent on them. So it's a coincidence that the schools that are ranked by TEA's own metrics as the best schools in the state are spending $1,000 more than the schools that are ranked by TEA as the worst schools. It, 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 I'm not saying it's a, I'm not, not saying that's a coincidence, yeah. but I'm saying the the more the more significant variable, yeah. the more significant factor is who are these youngsters, right. and that's why for us yeah. as a state, right. recognizing who we are as a state that is 60, where 60 percent of our nearly five million youngsters are economically disadvantaged and 65% of our youngsters are brown and black. That's why we have to put on our backpack and walk up the mountain and say, we've got to take these youngsters right. to the plateau because that's, that's the real challenge for us. It's not the dollars. Yeah. It is, unfortunately, it's the characteristics of the youngsters that we're trying to try. So if that's the challenge, Commissioner, what's the answer? If, if the answer is not simply spend more money, which I think a lot of people in this room, despite <laughs> the, the controversy over the question of funding the public again, a lot of people would agree that money is not the only answer. What is the answer then if the issue is who those kids are coming in the door? I How think, do you change I that? I think the answer is, is a number of things. We've got to put world-class instruction in front of every youngster in every classroom. Right. We've got to say that the job number one for us is closing the racial achievement gap. Yep. And part of that is putting world-class instruction in front of every youngster. Part of that is making sure that those youngsters who are at risk that we can do the best that we can for early, early school readiness, that we can build an accountability system that focuses on closing that gap, that we've got to say that every youngster in every classroom, that we've got to make sure that we spend more time in class and not in out-of-school suspension. Yeah. And we've got to use technology so we can do more things better, faster, and cheaper. Can you do those things with the dollars now available? Oh, yeah. You think you can? I think I can. Right. So you can. There, there, there may be additional dollars. And right. Look, the 181's just got here. We've right. been here two days. And they're going to have a vibrant, robust conversation about whether we need to add more dollars to pre-K or add more dollars to, uh, for, for technology. Yeah. And we're going to have that conversation. But today, yeah. we can do what we need to do. Your position, Commissioner, on this subject and I suspect I'm going to hear this again in the next half hour, is we're going to let the legislature do what it does. We essentially uh, execute their will. Is that right? That's what I do. On the money. So then let me ask you about uh, choice and, 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 and vouchers to pick up another uh, topic, again, not at all controversial, uh, that is likely to be it, it discussed during the session. As you know, uh, uh, Chairman Patrick and Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst have put their flag down in saying that they intend to see some form of legislation on school choice, they, uh, how you want to characterize a choice vouchers, whatever, uh, uh, will be a, a, a big issue for them during the, the 83rd session. 
Uh, can you tell me what the TEA position on this is or what your per position personally? I know that in a previous life, you have been an advocate for I choice. I have. So if, in your new capacity and from the agency's perspective, as this legislation courses through the, the Senate and, and then the House, where does TEA see this? You know, I've, I've learned two things during the four months I've been education commissioner that everybody in Texas knows that four times four is 16. They talk about that in terms of the four by four. And everybody knows that in 1990, I gave my first speech advocating for parental choice. In 1991, as an assistant secretary for former President George H.W. Bush, I was part of the team that developed uh, his, his school choice proposal and initiative. In 1992, I wrote my first commentary, and I've been on panels all across this country advocating that position. But I'm in a different role today. And in this role today, I have to be an honest broker of the facts and the evidence. Yeah. And so I won't be walking the halls, talking to members, advocating that we expand to parental choice. I won't be giving speeches on the south steps of the Capitol. So if it, pa if it passes and, it's TE and TEA has and a role then, in that, then fine. We'll, then we'll do it. And if it then doesn't we'll pass, do fine. And if the members have questions along the way right. about how this is implemented, then we will answer that question. What I have to do yeah. is, if, if members see me as an advocate, then, and I find this curious, because the only people who ask me about this question are people who oppose the parental choice. But anyway, if members see me as an advocate, they're not going to trust the evidence and the data that we get. But of course, there are issues, Commissioner, regardless of the position you take on the legislation, which you know, in fairness, we'd like to see the language. We want to understand what exactly is being proposed. But regardless of, of your position on it, there are going to be aspects of this that TEA would have a, a hand in implementing, have a lot to say. And, and one of the, the, the opponents of, of choice in quotes, because again, we don't know exactly what it is, one of the concerns is, is that as public dollars migrate out of the public education system to schools that may not be subject to the accountability metrics that the public schools are, that, 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 that's somehow a, a, a tripwire. You know, that, that's a bad thing and that somehow is a concern. Have you thought about how an accountability system might be structured that would allow for such a thing in a choice system? I mean, we enga doing, engage us on some of the Evan, substance of Evan, it. Evan, quite frankly, yeah. we are doing no work yeah. in the building at this time regarding school choice. Right. There is no thinking, no analysis going on in the building. Right. When we get a bill, when we get a, uh, a question, we'll respond to it. Right. But there's nobody scurrying around in the building right now. No proactivity here no. on, as far as what not, happens. Not, not school happens. choice. Yeah. That's, at the end of the day, let, let's think about something. Yeah. In Louisiana, in Florida, in Wisconsin, in other places that have developed state-based school parental choice plans, yeah. we have not seen a mass exodus to private schools or other learning opportunities, learning environments. That's, that's likely to be the case even if something is passed here in Texas, Diane. That's likely to be the case here in Texas. So at the end of the day, I'm still going to have nearly 4.9 youngsters in public school. We've got to focus, the 700 of us back at TA, on the, on the 4.9, nearly 4.9 youngsters in public school, yeah. in public education. Right. So there's nobody back at TA now who's sitting down trying to figure out how you're going to implement a school choice plan. Mm -hmm. If we get a question, we're going to answer it as honestly as we can, 
If somebody asks for data, we'll provide it. So you're not paying attention really on the funding stuff because you're a defendant in the case. <laughs> you're, not, you're not focusing on the vouchers and the choice stuff. What are you doing? You know, you know, come on, Evan. Well, I don't, I'm not saying it with disrespect. I'm genuinely curious <laughs> because I thought you were going to spend 15 minutes telling me all the work you were doing to prepare for choice. So what do you, you, so you do? You haven't asked that. Well, I'm asking let, it now. Let, let what are you, you doing? Me, in my four months, Conversation I've had with whether it's superintendent of school board members and anybody else yeah. has been about accountability, 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 yeah, we're gonna get to career that. tech, accountability, yeah. Yeah. accountability. Yeah. And that's, that's where, my, so what have I been doing for the most part? I've been having conversations with superintendents and, and, and school board members and parents and even youngsters about how do we improve our accountability system. And I've heard from superintendents and others yeah. that says that we got 35 different ways to fail. We got 35 tripwires. We're based an accountability system on the weakest link, the weakest subgroup. Yeah. That we don't get credit for what we do well, we get punished for what we don't do. Right. And commissioner, that ought not be the way we go. Yeah. And so we've been thinking about how do we reform this? And so rather than basing the ratings for campuses and school districts on that one subgroup, we've been looking at moving to an index. And so, More uh, like grades, is that right? Well, at the end of the day, there'll be grades. Right. But before you get to the grades, you gotta figure out what you're gonna base the grade on. Okay. And rather than on that single indicator, we're gonna look at an index, and in that index will be you know, at least four parts. Okay. And those four parts will be number student achievement. That's sort of the way we do it now. Second will be whether this campus, whether this district is moving towards closing the racial achievement gap. Because in a state that is composed the way we are, yeah. that is fundamental to our future progress. And we want to close it, and we want to design a system that says, you can close the racial achievement gap by bringing the top down, but that's not what we want to do. We want to move and accelerate right. the floor going up. The third indices in that index is, are you gaining progress with your youngsters in your classroom? And the fourth year, one is- Year over year. Yes. Yeah. And the fourth one is, are these youngsters leaving college and career ready? So that's what I've been spending, quite frankly, yeah. the large part of my time on is looking at how do we design this system so that it's fair and more balanced yeah. for both students and parents and obviously in administrators and districts. As, as you know, uh, Commissioner, the question of how schools are rated uh, has been a bit of a hot mess the last couple of years. The Texas performance measure, and a lot of controversy associated with that. I think schools would like some clarity, but it does seem like we have shifted the, the, the yard markers a whole lot over the last couple of years. Do you, do you think you can design a system that would have a little bit more permanence to it here? Well, I, permanence depends on the legislature, but I, I do think that I can design a system that has a, a, a great deal more agreement as to its validity. And in my early conversations with superintendents and school board members, uh, there seems to be at least some real appreciation oh. yeah. that this index yeah. is better than where we are today. Yeah. How, how can you assure us, Commissioner, that the, the schools themselves or the districts, as has happened in some case, don't game the system to, to, to get their ratings or rankings to be better than they actually ought to be? Well, I think there are two things. And, you know, anytime you have a system that has real consequences, somebody is likely to try to cheat. Uh, but, you know, we've asked, obviously, in, in terms of legislation, in terms of my LAR for dollars for 
so that we can guard against test cheating. Right. Uh, we've, we now have, uh, have done some things within the agency in terms of reorganization mm -hmm. so that we're putting some additional resources, one or two, right. FTE, uh, to that regard. But the other thing, quite Is it, let me stop you, is it enough, Commissioner? Because we know the TEA sustained, as all of public education did, a pretty significant cut in the last session. And there has been some concern out in the world about whether you have adequate human resources and financial resources to do oversight of charters, to do enforcement on things like cheating, and, and investigations. Do, do you have the manpower and the woman power within the agency to actually accomplish all this? Evan, you know the answer that I'm going to give you before you asked it. That we're going to we'll just do. Say it. We're going to do with what we have. We're going. Go. We're, we're we're going we're going to take care of the job with what yeah. we have. But let me yeah. let me tell you what, what else yeah. we have. When you create a system that is not oppressive, and I would agree that the current system, based upon that. That, lo that weakest link yeah. is an oppressive system. Right. When you move to one that's more balanced and that gives schools and districts credit for what they do well, right. there is less incentive to try to cheat. Right. And we will get a better judgment right. about what those campuses and those districts are doing. Specifically, since you brought up cheating, I want to ask you very briefly about the El Paso ISD situation where you've now asked for an investigation to see what happened, how TEA essentially missed what we now know to have been a pretty massive scandal that's resulted in jail time and, and all that. Do, do you believe the TEA in the end is gonna be found to have done everything right? I mean, there are some people outside the TEA who are saying, TEA talks a lot about accountability for the schools. Where's the accountability in TEA for blowing <laughs> the El Paso ISD deal? Will heads roll in the course of all this? We'll see, I mean, I asked for an investigation. Right. Uh, but I your position on the subject, Commissioner, shifted from the fall when you thought, well, we don't, maybe don't, we don't need an investigation. We don't really need an audit of this. Now you've decided, well, in fact, in retrospect, we do. But Evan, let's say what I did. Yeah. You know, I, I came in initially and said that there was no need for uh, an outside inquiry. Yeah. I listened to others. I learned from others. Just I took the advice and counsel from others. Right. And then said, let's go ahead and have that inquiry. Yeah. So as an old prosecutor, let's allow the investigator to go and do his investigation. Mm -hmm. And bef rather than prejudge that investigation, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Right. Let me come at this question of metrics and, and, and how we can count on the accountability system within the schools another way. There was a Department of Education finding a few weeks back that Texas in 2010-11 had an eight, a graduation rate, a high school graduation rate of 86%. There was initially a lot of celebration of these numbers. Why wouldn't there be? But then there was also some skepticism. I saw Bill Hammond here, uh, and, and there are some other people in the room, not just Bill, who thought there's absolutely no way that this number is accurate. And in fact, as you know, there's been some question about whether the numbers that we hear on dropouts and graduation rate in the state have been cooked by one or another parties over the years. Do we really know what the graduation rate, what the dropout rate is? And if not, why not? We do know. And I think the Department of Education told us what it was. But let's, you think let, that's let, a good number? But, but, but I think it's a good number, but let's not get, let's not get, caught, get caught up in the number. We have mixed... Why, why not? We, we, no, we have mixed, because here's the deal. Yeah. Because you don't want to over... You want to celebrate that number, yeah. but you don't want to get, get it twisted and get confused by that number. We've got a graduation rate that's increasing. We've got African-American and Hispanic students in fourth and eighth grade in Texas outperforming African-American and Hispanic students on NAEP and other states. All of those are great things. But we also recognize that we've got a 
college readiness score that's sort of for, for Texas high school students under 30 percent. So we've got some good numbers and we've got some bad numbers. If you look at the number of Texans that our state demographer says they're going to be prepared to have a baccalaureate degree by 2040. Yeah. We see those we see those projections going down. Right. So we've got both good numbers and bad numbers. We've got to focus on the fact that we've got a, we've got a lot to celebrate. Yeah. But we've got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of work to do. So let's not get, get caught up in, in the fact that whether those numbers are whether it should be 81 percent as opposed to 83 as opposed to 86. The fact that it's been going up on the graduation rate, but in fact, the matter other numbers have been going down. Yeah. And we need to be concerned about those as well. You mentioned college readiness a couple times, so let me ask you, if you're dissatisfied with the level of college readiness today, how do you run directly at that problem, that problem specifically? You run what do you do it, on, what do you, you do about run that? through it since 1994, starting with President, I mean with Governor George, George Bush. This state said that there's a body of knowledge that every youngster in this state ought to be able to master before he or she is prepared to go get an associate's degree or baccalaureate degree, go to, go, go to work, or go serve his or her country in the military. The way we get at it is that we maintain a fidelity to this accountability system and to the four by four, there may be some modifications made to it, but we maintain a fidelity saying there's a body of knowledge we want them to know. We want them to have four years of rigor in language arts and reading and writing. We want to make sure that youngsters can be able to write beyond 140 characters. We want to be able to say they got to have, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We want to say they got to have four years of rigor in math. Now, whether that is Representative tell whether that is math and geometry and you go down to algebra two, I mean algebra one and geometry, whether that's algebra two and pre-cal, not sure. Okay? Maybe we can modify that. But they also, also need to have at least four years of rigor in science, in bio, in chem, and other. And they at least need to know American history, to know the principles of this country. That's how we get there. That's how we get them college ready. Right. Commissioner Paredes, Higher Education Coordinating um, Commission, and Commissioner Alcantar and I have probably met four times in the four months that I've been here. And we have committed ourselves to meeting every, every other month uh, during, during our tenure. So we can have a conversation about the intersection between kind of coordinate what we efforts. do. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And we can't get youngsters ready to go to either college or work without them having that foundational body of knowledge. Commissioner, we skipped over, because we, we got a little bit on, onto another topic, the, que <laughs> the question of accountability. I'm not going to let you uh, get away without addressing the question of student testing and accountability. You know that this has been an enormous controversy. Uh, something like 85% or more of the school boards in the state representing something like 90% or more of the students enrolled have passed resolutions against uh, uh, testing in one form or another. Uh, you all put the pause button on the 15% rule earlier this year, but nobody thinks the problem is solved. Right. And there continues to be a lot of uh, angst about the, the cost, about the days dedicated in the classroom to the test, and about whether the number of tests is the right number of tests. Uh, uh, what should we do? What have we done wrong on this? Can, can you defend the system as it currently exists? Do you want to defend it? Or, and if not, what do you think it ought to become? Well, let's say I'm going to defend the system. I'm going to say that 
The system that the legislature developed yeah. is one that got us to the point where we could have at least some bragging rights as it relates to some of our subgroups, particularly African Americans and Hispanics. Does it need some degree of modification? I'll accept that. And where is that degree of modification? It seems to me that we ought to maintain, for the most part, the four by four. And then, so where do we find modifications within that? It says that maybe we don't require a two, algebra two. Maybe a youngster who wants to be in the construction business takes construction geometry. Maybe a youngster who is interested in going into another field takes aviation. Maybe, so we create, and I've asked superintendents to submit to me a series of math and science courses that have rigor, that can substitute for the third and fourth year of math and science that I can submit to the State Board of Education because they have the authority to approve those yep. courses. Yep. Um, do we need 15 tests? Maybe the answer is somewhere between six and 12. But it seems to me that a youngster ought to have to pass a test, uh, pass the English two and three, ought to have to pass algebra one and geo, ought to have to pass bio and chem, ought to have to pass uh, American history to be able to graduate from a Texas school and to move on to, to work in college. Are you at all sympathetic, Commissioner, to the question of whether too much time is being devoted in class to teaching Very much for so. the test? Very much so, but let me, let me, let, let me tell you how, how I parse that. Yeah. Part of what's happening, and let's talk about the test, there are the end of course exams, yeah. and then there's all the benchmark tests, the worksheet tests, the learning how to fill in the, the, the bubble, all of that test. That's local. State law basically says that you cannot have um, tests more than 10% of the school year. All that other testing is done by local, uh, local school districts. And I have to admit that I've been advised by a former commissioner who said that any superintendent in the midst of high stakes testing that doesn't make sure that his youngsters know what they need to know by the day test comes is not worth his salt and is a fool, and that's why they do all the additional. But all that additional testing is done by them. But here's, here's where we're gonna go. I would ask everybody, pump your brakes, slow your roll. We're only in the second year of start testing, and there's going to come a time, just as it did with TOS and TOTS, where there is a level of confidence that the TEKS developed by the State Board of Education, that the curriculum that's been developed, and that the tests are all aligned, and all you got to do is teach the curriculum. And if you teach the curriculum, it'll be all right. We're only in the second year. And because of the second year and the, and, the, and, and the concern about we don't know, that's why we've got all this other stuff going on. But we'll get to that point if we give it some time. And I, I realize that there are youngsters who are in the middle of this process right now. I understand that. 
Yeah. Understand that. And that's the reason why we've tried to take some of the pressure out of the balloon. Right. That's why we took the pressure off to 15%. To take some of the pressure out of the balloon. But of course, that was a short term. It was a short term fix. But the legislature, had, Evan, the legislature right. was short term. But come on, on the fifteen percent. On the fifteen percent. The the legislature is going to address that issue right. in the next hundred forty days, and before I had my conversation with the governor regarding this position, I watched the tape of the House Public Ed. Uh, committee hearing, and I didn't see a whole lot of um, gumption for to 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 continue 15 percent. So 15 percent right. probably is not going to stay so, here. So your longer. your position, Commissioner, then on this issue, as on vouchers and choices, that the 181 are going to decide, and if the 181 decide to completely upturn the apple cart on this testing regime, you're going to be fine to go along. No, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. On this one's a little bit different now. I think it's really important for us to maintain fidelity to what we've begun. I believe that the increased rigor that we have in STAR is important for our youngsters. I believe that it's important for our youngsters to take those end of course exams in language arts in second, yep. two and three, yep. algebra one and geometry. Yep. And you will see me walk in the halls so on this Regarding issue, you, you will take a position on this issue. Well, on this, yeah. But not on the yeah, other. This is what I, vouchers is not, that's them. That's them. That's this them. Is, this is you. This, this is me. Let, me. let me ask you, before we go to questions, if, if I can get you to take a position on one more issue. Let me try no, one more. So. And, that's, and that's guns in schools. You may know that uh, since the tragedy in Connecticut, Commissioner, Representative Vialba has uh, announced plans to introduce a bill that would essentially establish a federal marshal-like program to improve the protection of our uh, school kids and school teachers and school personnel around Texas. Representative Riddle has talked about expanding the opportunity for districts to allow school teachers to carry concealed handguns in class. Uh, yesterday, a congressman, new congressman Steve Stockman, uh, announced plans to introduce a bill that would eliminate gun-free school zones. Is all of this good for Texas? Do you think that we should be having a conversation about giving more access to guns to school personnel or to outside personnel to protect our kids? Yes. Or possibly eliminating gun-free zones? You do? Yes. Would you talk about that, please? You know, Evan, we have folks who are armed at the state capitol. I was in um, AT&T last weekend, and they had a armed professional in the AT&T stores. I was trying to get my new plan. But we send folks to schools, and rather than being armed, we have them to rely for safety upon hope. And so I think that somebody that has a concealed handgun license and somebody who has adequate training uh, should be able with the permission of their local school district to be able to be positioned such that they can protect themselves and the youngsters in that, in that school. And it should be a decision district by district? It should be district by district. I mean, we're not gonna, we ought not, in my opinion, we ought not from the state level impose upon districts and demand that districts uh, provide that permission. But that ought to, to in, my, in my estimation, that I'd be allowed by local option of 
local school. So as the Vialbo or Riddle legislation goes through, you would actually speak out in favor of it as it uh, as it comes before the legislation. Well, let me look at the legislation. I haven't I haven't I haven't looked at the legislation, but let me look at the legislation. Okay, good, Commissioner. Thank you. We've covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. I appreciate you being a good sport. Let's give the commissioner a hand, please. Thank you. And, and now, Commissioner, we'll get the tough questions. That's right. Um, That's right. See if they can get you to answer some of the things that I can't oh, get quit you to answer. Yeah. Quit it. Uh, let's have some hands, please, and then we'll go. We'll just take a couple over here, come over here. That gentleman right there has been very patient, sir. My name's Jim Walsh. I'm with the Texas School Business Magazine and the Walsh Anderson Law Firm. Uh, Senator Patrick announced his support for vouchers at a Catholic school. We know that if we have a voucher law, significant amount of public money is going to flow to religious schools. And we have a very strong prohibition of that in the state constitution. I'm wondering if the agency has looked at the constitutionality of a voucher program that would include religious schools. Let me see if I can respond to that in the same way that I respond to Evan when he asked the question. There is absolutely, positively, definitely no work that's being done in the agency at this moment regarding school choice. If we get a question, We'll look at it. If we're asked to determine, to, to give a, an opinion regarding the constitutionality of providing um, parents with the opportunity to go to a religious school, we'll give that answer. But at this moment, we haven't been asked, and we haven't taken the initiative to look at it ourselves. That is a question that is directed Solely. Yep. To the 181. We asked you what your personal point of view on this is. You wouldn't tell us, would you? <laughs> I haven't looked at the question. I haven't looked at the question. Oh, but you, but you, but Commissioner. Commissioner. No, no, no. You've no, no, thought no. about no, it. No, no, Come no. on. Evan, Evan, I have not looked at the question as to the constitutionality of, uh, on the state constitution. I have not I've looked at the question. I've taken tax dollars and migrating over to. And, and, and it's my, and, and the other piece is, from reading news reports, because I haven't seen a bill. Right. I'm not so sure that's the way the senator is constructing his bill. It seems the senator's constructing his bill from news reports. That's a tax credit. You, wealthy businessman, your business. Who are you, who are you talking to? You. No, you. No, it's my okay. turn to get the, in your face. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm going to assume you meant the royal you. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. You, wealthy businessman, give money to an entity, and that entity provides dollars to this family so that that family can now go so it's a pass to St. Joseph's. pass-through, basically. Yeah. So it's actually the way, the way I think he's constructing it yeah. is different than the hypothesis that we just got. Question over there I saw. Uh, uh, James, right there, sir. Thank you, Commissioner, first of all, for taking the job that Rob Eisler described as lowering yourself down into a blender. <laughs> well, so, the choice was going to Congress. This is a much better deal, actually. <laughs> no, this is probably tougher. Yeah. I was reading the paper this morning on this device, and I realized that I very re rarely read anything in paper anymore. Is this the future of textbooks for kids, or are paper books going the way of rotary dial telephones? Certainly in higher ed, there's a lot of discussion of that. Well, right? and, even, and even, even in K through 12. You know, it's interesting, when I'm 
You may have seen news accounts that I announced the 23 school districts that are now part of the High Performance School Consortium. And of those 23 school districts, when I looked at their application, uh, and part of, part of the design of the High Performance School Consortium uh, exercise was schools that were doing you know, significant things and improving education in wondrous ways. And many of them were talking about how they want to move to a one-to-one -one relationship in terms of tablets and notebooks and iPads and Kindles and those kinds of things. And so many of the schools are moving in that direction. I had an opportunity to meet with a number of superintendents in the DFW area, and they were talking about how they're going to allow youngsters to bring their own devices, whether it is their iPhone or some other kind of television, and how they're going to use that in a way uh, to, in terms of a learning environment. Down in South Texas, and in South Texas we were uh, looking at a, a particular school in, in Harlingen that was engaged in the in significant advancement of sort of digital learning. But they were also looking at how they're going to encourage youngsters and allow youngsters and utilize the capacity of youngsters to use the digital devices. There is no doubt that the notion of blended learning, the teacher in front of you, so the old traditional sage on the stage, yeah. uh, along with technology is the way for us to go. Think about what we've done at, at, the, at the agency with Project Share, which is a, a project for us that we can provide uh, learning tools to teachers as well as remediation to students. We've got 2.1 million users on that system today. Uh, in terms of pre-K, I'll come back yeah. to you, yeah. in terms of pre-K, <laughs> Hold on, dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of pre-K, we're looking at moving professional development for pre-K teachers from 500 classrooms to 5,000 using the same dollars that we used in the last biennium using technology. There's no doubt that that is a way for us to move forward. But I'm thinking back, Commissioner, what you said earlier in the conversation about the concern you have on the, uh, uh, you know, that the issue is that we have the kinds of kids coming in the door. It's not so much how we spend on them. If you rely on kids to bring devices from home, uh, is that not going to exacerbate the, the divide between rich and poor? And if you're going to rely on the districts to provide those devices themselves, isn't that going to be a problem of where's the money going to come from? What's interesting, Evan, is that sitting around with those superintendents and those school board meetings yeah. there in Dallas, and they have wide diversity yeah. that was represented at that lunch luncheon table. And they're going through that same question. But they believe, for the most part, that we've got more youngsters that got phones, that have internet capacity, then uh, that we might, that you and I might think, and so that digital divide, that gulf, is not as big as one might have thought it was at some time earlier. That they believe that they can get there. Now, some of the districts are going to look at: Do we need to lease, not buy? Because we know that with these, with this technology. And what I get today, I'm going to get rid of in about three years. Will they lease yep. for those youngsters that may not have access to it, that they can lease it and, and, and get that done? Okay. I'm going to try to go to the back. Uh, can I go to the very far back right there, the very farthest by the window? Please stand up. Right there at the, uh, uh, Natalia, right there. No, well, you just picked, but I was going to go right there. Yes, please. 
Yeah, Commissioner, thank you for the hard work <laughs> oh, you do. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's why you sat in the back and hit. I couldn't see it was you. Hey, Bill. I think I may, maybe, may, maybe I have a question you can actually answer. Um, <laughs> accountability grading for the schools is totally in your discretion, as I understand it. Basically, two schools of thought. One is acceptable, unacceptable versus A through F, which then Governor, uh, Governor Jeb Bush said did more to move the academic performance of students than anything else he did. That's that's in you. That's on you. That you get to make that decision. Could you tell us your thinking on that issue? And that's apparently under discussion, right? It's under discussion. It's been presented to me, and it's been presented that we move away from academically acceptable to and academically unacceptable to A through F. That's been presented to me, and I'm leaning in that direction. Leaning in that direction, but not deciding. Well, I haven't decided yet. Uh, it, it's it's very very likely it's going to be A through F. Okay. Look, we made I news just, at that minute 40. We made news. Look at that. Um, yeah, but you need to be nice. Ma'am. Oh, I'm being as nice. <laughs> Actually, Commissioner, this is nice. Uh, Good morning. I'm Joanne Salazar, and I'm with TAMSA, Texas Advocating for Meaningful Student Assessment. Um, along those same lines, um, you know, you're proposing this new accountability system in March under which schools would be rated. But given that the STAR testing is such a hot topic, this legislation, um, are you, don't you think it might be a little premature to be putting in place an accountability system when the underlying STAR testing may be changing? No, because I've been directed by the legislature to do so. You're not worried that work that happens after March might undermine or in some way impact the, uh, the work that you, you announce in March? Well, I've been directed by the legislation to make this determination. We're going to make this determination. The legislation, if they decide to unravel it, that is their prerogative. Then you, then, then you, you and, and we'll start over and go from there. Okay. That's their prerogative. I would hope that the work that we do yeah. and the determination that I make is that the legislature will take notice of it, uh, and it may impact to some degree the decision that they make. Okay. Uh, there was a hand up in the back. Okay, how about right here, sir, right there with the maroon tie. Yes, sir. Good morning, and thanks for being here. I'm Steve Swanson. I'm here as a citizen who's spent time building schools and spent time with the, our communities doing what we can to meet their needs. First of all, thanks the Tribune for this kind of effort to be out in the community. I would encourage you to have an event where you have the students in the room with elected officials and with the business community talking about what is the real life experience for the commissioner. Yes, please. Um, we talk about testing what they know. I think it's time we ask ourselves, are we meeting their needs and testing ourselves to know whether we're meeting their needs. And the legislature has provided opportunities for us at the state level and at the local level to identify children's needs, to meet those needs in order that they're prepared and engaged and empowered to do the learning we want them to do to in order to become something in their life that they're gifted at. What are we doing at the, at the TEA? What are we doing to meet their needs at the TEA? You know, last week I had the opportunity to have the presidents, the regional presidents, vice presidents of FAA in my office. About um, 14, 16 youngsters. They're all, for the most part, they're college freshmen. And we had this conversation. Now, they didn't go through the STAR regime, they went through the TOX regime, but they took the STAR test yep. as seniors. It was interesting what they told me. 
They said that having taken the STAR exam, they re realized that rigor had increased. They also realized that having come through the talks regime, that they had not been well prepared for their college experience. And so are we meeting their needs? I realize it's difficult. I realize that where we've come is tougher than where we've been. But I will tell you that if we're going to get youngsters prepared for the challenges of tomorrow, the path we're on right now is the right path for us to be. Is the right path. Does, do we need to make some modification? We'll make some. We'll make some. But we cannot, ought not, will not go back to the day where we did not care about the learning of every kid in every classroom in every district across the state. There was a time in this state not so long ago where we didn't even in a, in a large urban district, we didn't even test brown and black kids. I'm not going to suggest why we didn't do it, but we didn't do it. We're not there today. We can't afford that today. So we got to get it right and get the balance right, get the mixture right, but we cannot return to, a point to, to, to that day. We have got to focus on, we can't lose a kid. And that's why, quite frankly, to me, we didn't talk about it thus far in addition to accountability and testing. We've got to talk about discipline in schools. School campus leaders ought to have the control and the power to control and to, and to deal with unruly youngsters. But we are suspending far too many kids to out-of-classroom suspension. And far too many of those youngsters, and it's not because I look like I can look, but far too many of those youngsters are black males. And if you're not in the classroom, then you're not learning. And so we've got to get to the point, quite frankly, where we at least have some minimum learning standards for what happens when you're suspended outside the classroom. Right. So are we meeting the needs? We can do a whole lot better. But the legislature started us on a path that says there's a body of knowledge that youngsters ought to have to be able to master before they shake the superintendent's hand on Saturday and prepare to go to college or work or the military on Monday. I, I thought you were going to bring up the career and tech thing, which is something we also didn't talk that. about. And as I understand, you have a, there are some who believe there ought to be a separate career and tech track, and, you, and you've, you've, spoken, <laughs> you've spoken against this because you believe that it, it amounts to essentially dumping kids. Well, let, let's see if we can do this. Yeah. I believe that within the construct of the current 4x4, four four, with some modifications, that we can meet the needs of youngsters who want to have career in tech opportunities. You know, in 2011, of the, one point, or near, the nearly 1.3 million high schoolers in Texas, one million of them took at least one career tech course. 660,000 of them took at least two. A quarter of a million of them took the four course coherent sequence. But we can create additional opportunities for youngsters, and we can create it with more creativity in that third and fourth year math, that third and fourth year science. They already have five and a half electives that are available to them. Now, if you're a football player, I realize Four of those electors are going to go play in football. If your kid has to remediate, then you lose that. But we can create it within that. But I will tell you, 
You, you want an opinion? You, you want me to state an opinion? Let's state an opinion. We are, I am, I am going to be deathly opposed to the notion that we're going to create a separate degree path that's called career tech. Because I think we can do within the construct of the, where we now have a distinguished degree and a recommended degree. Because if we move to that career tech diploma path, I am old enough at 59 and perhaps suspicious enough to think that the kids in that track are going to be some different kind of kids. And I want us as a state to make it our mission that we're going to put on our back and climb up that mountain that say that we're going to prepare every kid in this state for the opportunity so they can exercise a choice whether they want to go to college or not. So if you, if you want to say I have an that one we're going to answer. You, we, will, you will answer we, we, that, we, we one. Gonna, that one. That one we're going to answer. Uh, Mr. Greenfield. Who I suspect, oh, yes. will, no. I suspect will push us on school finance or no. the, the economics. Go ahead. I'm going to be a nice guy. Okay. Um, I applaud the plate you have and the questions you have to address. But it seems to me that the one, the concern that I have is the most critical factor in terms of school success is the teachers. And nothing has been said about how do we enhance the abilities of our, you know, 300,000 or 350,000 teachers to deliver, perform, you know, to improve the performance of the yeah. four million or five million students that we have. Um, so I'm wondering, under your auspices, will you be devoting efforts to coming up with ways of enhancing? Teacher performance. Yeah, where's TEA's role in all let, this? Let's yeah. see if I can do that in, yeah. in two different ways. The Texas Teachers Commission uh, has now released its report about recommendations about the next generation of teachers. And what do we do in terms of rebranding teach, teaching so that it is a high status uh, profession, uh, as perhaps it was when my parents became teachers, both my mom and dad are retired teachers. And what they've said is that what we've got to do is go back to the teaching to the education schools or to our universities. And we've got to encourage youngsters, uh, make it more competitive for youngsters to become teachers. They've also said that what we want to do is raise the minimum salary for teachers from 27.2 to somewhere around 41, 42, somewhere in there that we want to escalate, allow for the escalation of teachers in that minimal scale in a shorter period of time. One ought not be a teacher for 30 years before they're able to take their, their kids to Six Flags for vacation. They've also said that, um, quite frankly, that we need to reconstruct sort of retirement programs for teachers, recognizing that millennials and others are going to be like my parents. They're not going to teach 40 years apiece. They're, they're probably going to teach four, five, six years. So rather than the retirement plan we have today, we give them a 401k so they can, it can be portable, they can go on. At TEA, when we resubmit our, our LAR, you know, you're likely to see that there's going to be significant dollars requested for professional development. 
you'll likely see there's going to be some additional dollars requested um, to add to Project Share, which is sort of our way or one of our vehicles of providing additional resources to teachers to get prepared to teach in the to teach to the to the lift of STAR. So there's sort of two different ways: how you deal with youngsters coming in and how you provide professional development for the teachers who are, are, are currently in the program today. We have time, Natalia, for one more? Well, can I do one more, Commissioner? Go ahead. Okay, very Back good. Back to Seth uh, uh, Let me take this uh, uh, fellow right there with the glasses, right there. Yeah. And I apologize to people who had questions we didn't get to. Hi, I'm Roy Nieto with SureScore, um, and we do college preparation. Um, I heard you talk about um, uh, the body of knowledge, which I appreciate. Um, and you know, as we were going through things and talking about what kids needed, you know, I heard we want, we want, we want, we want a, a lot, which is you know, what we do. Um, is uh, TEA considering any mandates that would provide infrastructure in schools to help kids figure out what they want? Because you know, great teaching, you know, all the resources in the world are phenomenal. I'm a member of a gym and I don't go very often. <laughs> um, so I've got to make a commitment in my schedule to go work out on an everyday basis. And I, I see a lot of kids across the state who simply aren't engaged. And so we can give them this great stuff, but can we create an infrastructure, a class that's mandated that focuses on aspirations and where kids want to go so we can get, increase that motivation so that all the resources they have will drive them down a pathway? It seems to me that the proper role for the state and for TEA in that regard is to allow districts to be principally involved in creating and in, in, in doing that. So what we do is create a construct in the four by four that allows options so that a youngster who's interested in fine arts can take fine arts classes, a youngster who wants to be, do career tech can do that. That is a better, to me, a better way to approach that than for us, the state, to demand that Arlington ISD or Austin ISD or whatever ISD have some kind of class where they direct youngsters to make a determination or allow youngsters to make a determination about what their career interests would be. Local ISDs are in a better position to do that than I am here in Austin. Okay. Was that in boss? That's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we landed the plane safely here. Uh, I, wa I want to thank all of you for coming. I especially want to thank Commissioner Williams for his generosity today and giving us so much time. Thank you all. Thank you, Commissioner. I hope we'll see you again. This Trib Live event was recorded in front of a live audience and was generously supported by AT&T, Christus Health. BP, Raise Your Hand Texas, and the Texas Coalition of Dental Service Organizations, and also by Educate Texas, the American Heart Association, and the American Stroke Association. For more information on the Texas Tribune and the dozens of free Trib Live events the Tribune hosts each year, go to texastribune.org.